Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Durhaj of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, today I have someone from very far away. Uh, I think the next second uh, person on the podcast from Australia, and his name is Clint Adams. Clint, thanks so much for spending the time. It's very, very early there. It's like 6.30 in the morning. So I really appreciate him taking the time um, to spend the time with us. So thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Let me tell you a little bit about Clint and uh, his uh, business is called Blue Flame Projects. He does uh, leadership development and around the areas of resiliency. And he also works in schools and works with programs related for teachers and children around the issues of resilience. Uh, last year, he released a book called Lighting the Blue Flame, which I would love for him to tell you a little bit more about. So Clint, tell me, um, how did you kind of get into doing this kind of work? Like what's kind of your story that um, you kind of took this path and are doing this kind of work today? Yeah, look, I guess a lot of it started when I got really interested at high school in uh, psychology. I Back then, Silence of the Lambs was a pretty big movie around the place and, you know, serial killers and, and profiling was was kind of pretty cool and, and new to, to the world, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I got interested in, in, in that side of, of psychology at the time, so I'm showing my age here, but that was the late 80s and... Um, I was at university and they didn't have specific forensic psychology courses. So you kind of had to do a broader suite. So I did a science degree, mainly in psychology, but also did pharmacology. So there was a bit of an um, understanding of how the drugs and, and stuff work uh, on the brain and then that kind of thing. So anyway, I originally finished my degree, went to join the police force here in, in Victoria. So Victoria, the police forces here are all run by the state. So it's pretty much the same police force running the whole state and each state has their own police force. Um, each state then would also have their own kind of forensic departments and that kind of stuff. So my intent when I first joined was to get into that kind of squad. I won't bore you with details, but over time, I kind of got more interested in the counselling side of um true psychology, like you're with the traditional sense, sitting across from somebody who's got problems and, and trying to help them. So I did some more studies around that in, in rehabilitation counselling, and then I eventually left the police force to go and pursue a role as a true counsellor working in rehabilitation and working with people who'd had physical injuries, who had problems, you know, adapting to that and, and all that kind of from a psychological perspective. Um, over time, I kind of was doing a lot of police work for the police, even though I worked for a private company. They then approached me and said, hey, Clint, why don't you come back and work for us? The police like working with you because you're an ex-police officer. It's easy to talk to, blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of how I got back into the police. And then over time, I just kind of worked on how I'd also help the police force develop programs for our officers, you know, keeping themselves safe, 
interacting better with the people, not getting, you know, overusing their force when, you know, there's tactical disengagement, I guess is probably the, the, the right term for it. So, you know, in the moment they don't get overawed and they don't, you know, use too much excessive force and stuff. I mean, we saw what happened with the Black Lives Matter stuff not that long ago where, where the officers overstepped the mark and, and it, you know, became a massive thing. So part of what I was doing was working with individuals who are having problems but then also working and developing programs and that's kind of where my program development thoughts came into it a bit then i completely left went and worked in change management doing um people and culture or hr work in, in big companies and i did that for a few years and, and things kind of changed for me where i was working for a healthcare provider we were a hospital had lots of little tiny community centers health community centers in in one of our regional areas down in Victoria. And that gave me insight as part of the, the uh, executive team, it gave me insight and, and um, access to a lot of the information of the services we were providing. But it was quite alarming that, you know, we had these young people, really young 11, 12 year olds who were on antidepressant, you know, kind of uh, suicide watch with our community teams, our sites were working with them. And it's these really, really young people who are going through stuff that they probably shouldn't have to go through. You know, no one hopefully would want to go through it anyway, but ultimately, you know, 11 and 12, you shouldn't be worrying about that. You should be out playing with your friends and stuff like that. Anyway, obviously being a police officer and having been to people's houses in the past, obviously they don't call you for fun when you're a police officer, usually going there for something a bit more urgent. And, you know, you see, you see these homes where, young kids are disadvantaged and their parents aren't exactly good role models or they're drug addicts and all this kind of stuff. So you kind of put two and two together that, you know, some of these kids that are getting these services are also the same kids that you're seeing in these houses. So it got me thinking back then about what I could do to help um, with what I've seen with adults, because now I'm working with adults in a, in a HR space, but I'm seeing a lot of them are still struggling with mental health. A lot of them, when you when you do the research, and I'm sure you've done plenty of this, um, you know, you can look like people that have had childhood trauma have much more risk of, of having problems later on. And so for me, it was about what I'm, because what I was doing at the workplace was, you know, reasonably effective and we were getting things going for, for people that are, you know, in their 40s, 50s, whatever, and in a workplace. And now I'm thinking, well, what, they were all kids once. What can we do earlier on and, and that kind of stuff? And so that's kind of how the whole school program development piece started. I then started working on that um, and, and, and then kind of pitching it towards uh, politicians to try and look at getting funding as a pilot for a program. And anyway, again, I won't bore you with too much detail, but, you know, fast forward, I then made a decision that, you know, politicians aren't exactly subject matter experts on this stuff. Maybe that's not the best way for me to go about doing this. And and I decided uh, last year, just for COVID, mind you, because um, my book, so I wrote the book based around the school program and how I want to write it as a story of, of someone who's struggling, who does choose to commit suicide, but they want people to, um, to know about that. And then I'll bring myself in as a character, helping the school deal with this person's death, but then also helping the school then deal with, well, how do we stop this from happening? So it's kind of two parts to it. Obviously, there's there's the grievance part of it, um, the grief part of it, sorry, and then there's obviously the, the change management, what are we going to do different, how are we going to change the school, how are we going to help our students, um, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of use all that background to... Um, to write the story and, and the intent last year when the book came out, which was at the end of Feb, um, was that 
off the year, I know, two weeks later, it just went boom. So I, I had a few things kind of lined up uh, to do consulting work with, with a few organisations and, and actually working with other counsellors who were probably quite junior and, and helping them do practical things. What I find when I did my own course many, many years ago, I found, you know, you do the counselling courses and, and sometimes you still don't feel like you're prepared enough because what I find with academic stuff is it's not always that practical and, and academics, no no disrespect to them, um, they don't normally think about, you know, they kind of focus on their work and, and, and they write really great stuff and trust me, I've used a lot of it, but it's not always the most practical for the person on the ground or the person that, you know, goes and works with other people as counsellors or volunteers in, you know, Lifeline and all those kinds of things. So. For me, it's about, I, I kind of use the methodology of focusing a lot on what the body and the brain and, and that's all doing, but how that relates to doing things, activities. Like I used the example of the other day with, you know, why do people who have a dog live longer? Well, you know, the dogs do this and your oxytocin levels go up. So, you know, what other things can you do around that? I've got a brand new puppy. My daughter's puppy's with us at the moment. And, you know, you walk down the streets and you just see people looking at a puppy and they change their expression. They line up and they talk all funny to the dog and, you know, yes. they move their heads around and there's all that. Just one little thing changes that mood. And so understanding even just those little things about our bodies and our brains and the interactions, how we can kind of set things up to, to be more positive, to be more resilient and, and build on, on on all those things. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the nutshell version of, of what I'm of doing. So let's talk about translation then, right? So obviously resilience is an area that I talk a lot about. And, um, you know, of course, in this time, you know, everybody's talking about mental health and mental well-being and things like that. In your in your story and from what you've seen, so I, my history is like, for instance, my very first position was with the Metro Toronto Police here in Toronto, where I was mm -hmm. I, responded, I responded to victims of crime. And I'll tell you the very first, I'll never think, of course, it's my first um, call, <laughs> right? And I'm not a police officer. I'm on a team that's responding to the victims of crime. And I remember it was my first night shift. And what do we get? We get a suicide call. And I'm like, this is me. Wow. I, starting and i've got a seasoned partner of course let's not put the new person with a you know so i go with the <laughs> person, and then the police they're trying to clear the scene right they're like so they would clean up the scene it was called victim services i'm sure i would assume you have it in australia as well yeah yeah and, um, i remember saying to my partner at that time i said are you going to kind of go around the block a bit? Here I am, I'm trained. Um, and the reality was, it, you know, was a, it was like, wow, this is, this is real. This is, you know, boots on the ground. And I remember, you know, the impact of what happened here. I'm in my 20s and I'm responding to this and I'm trained for this. And the reality was like, whoa, what am I? This is me for a split second. What am I going yep. into before I, my, I clicked into that kind of my psychotherapist hat? And, you know, like talking about those practical skills, I think is very, very important. So when you kind of looked at the, like you said, the research and you've, you've been, you've been on the ground, you've seen people, at, at, you know, obviously at the lowest states, generally people don't like to see police officers, right? Um, yep. <laughs> what kind of applications did you talk about or did you put in the book for people to kind of think about? Because I know a lot of people are worried with kids being home and those types of things right now. Yeah, look, I run two programs. So if I go back to my police days where I'm I'm a cop and I'm thinking like a cop or I'm trying to train the police officers, 
um, around dealing with someone with mental health problems? Because, you know, we do come across them as police officers, you know, sometimes people have got mental health problems are uh, uh, um, doing things that, that are scary. Um, so, look, part of it is I explain to people a little bit about, you know, what's happening when someone is in that state. So, you'd know all this, but, you know, when, when someone's got an amygdala-driven kind of response, so that's that fight or flight or I'm feeling angry and, you know, fear and anger kind of go hand in hand with that, what, what's happening in the body is, and, and this is why I kind of go down this path of explaining that first so they can kind of work out the practicalities of it. But when that person's in that state, as you know, the blood starts to drain from the brain and starts going to the muscles, get them ready for fight or flight. So you've got a less oxygenated brain in the first place. The amygdala is also very small in comparison to the other parts of, of the brain that, that can kind of help in this situation. So when I'm talking to officers and explaining the things that they want to do is one is I say, okay, now you're talking with this person and it's a conversation. I use this thing called the dialogue model, which comes out of a book called Crucial Conversations. And what's happening is the way a conversation basically comes is like at the moment we're talking, throwing information into what they call a blue pool. You know, we're interacting, we're both feeling relatively comfortable. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. I don't think you're too worried about your safety right now. So if there's no safety aspects with, with a conversation, then everything kind of flows. The moment someone becomes, um, you know, there's a safety issue for them. So like you said, if a police officer comes towards someone now, they're feeling like, oh, I mean, I'm, and they get even more in that space. And so there's conversations that's happening in their own head at the same time. And, and it's, it's also then how they become feeling and then how they act upon that. So this is all happening all in one big hit when, when you're an officer or anybody coming to somebody who's in this state. And so for me, I'm, I'm trying to say to them, what we want to do is do something that can have them thinking with what I call blue brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, where we can come up with solutions, we can come up with different options. But you, as an officer, want to create the safety for this person, want to make them feel safe to say, hey, we're not here to do anything nasty to you. We're here trying to do this. So there's, there's two aspects to it. One, you want to create the safety. And two, you want to try and get them thinking with that part of the brain so they can focus on the future and stuff like that. I was reading one, one of the articles you put on the thing about management with fear and stuff like that. Same kind of principles, you've got to kind of, so two things have to happen. The officer needs to stay calm because when people are angry, they're coming at you and they're saying things and they might be threatening you, they might have weapons on them. So all these things are also on you as an officer. So you've got to kind of keep yourself calm. So one of the things I do to them is say, well, you don't want the blood going from here into your muscles and stuff either. So you want to ask yourself some high level questions that your blue brain needs to answer by doing that you're forcing the blood to pump back up into your own brain, keeping yourself calm, and then you can do the same with the person in front of you, saying, okay, let's talk about this, let's understand. You're trying to give yourself some space, give yourself some time to get them talking, get them thinking, ask them questions. How do you think this is going to end up? So if they have to think about how this is going to end up, rather than you coming in aggressive as an officer, you know, you can inflame the situation pretty quickly by doing that. So you don't want to do that. You want to Say, you got to keep calm first as an officer. Yes, if people are under threat, you might have to escalate things. But if there's no real threat there, you know, and, and then the other side of the coin is you also have a partner usually and, th and they can work with you. If I see that Clint's going a little bit overboard, I can also step in. I can calm Clint down and I can work to do that. So, you know, that's kind of a lot of the basic initiatives of, of understanding that when that blood's going away from the brain, we want to do things to try and get them back up there and get them thinking with that bigger part of the brain, which needs that blood. So it reverses the gears of what I call red brain or the flight or flight um, kind of, you know, initiative that, that takes place and it happens so quick, as you know. And so 
you know, they're, they're kind of some of the practical things that, that I, I focus on in the book around people understanding some of those things. And, and then you can also use that for, you know, building that resilience of, of when people know they're going into red, of how they can keep themselves out of red and into blue, as, as I call it, so that, again, it's that they go, oh, here I am, I'm getting angry, I'm talking to myself, I want to calm myself down, why am I worried about you know, someone cutting me off in a, in a car or, or that kind of stuff. Because some people, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who are a bit of a road rage of myself. I get angry when people do that. So I'm going to really concentrate. It's not yeah. always easy to do, but, you know, you, you learn it, you get better at it. And as we get older, amazingly, that's the part of the brain that actually, you know, when we're younger, we, we, we don't have that fully formed um, part of the brain yet. So, you know, younger people tend to do not sillier things, but more often they can be in the moment kind of, things and, and unfortunately a lot of crimes get committed that way um, as well. So really like I mean because like at the prefrontal cortex I think the actual um, development age where it actually is at maturity is around 25 26 so if you kind of think about Correct. it and a lot of um, I live here in Niagara Falls I'm sure every you know your listeners would yes. probably <laughs> know where that is like of all the places but um, unfortunately I would say um, we had, I would say, almost like a bit of epidemic of um, teen suicides for a bit in our area. And, you know, it was yep. either suicides or overdoses. So you see that a lot, a lot more people are struggling. And like, to your point, right, like, unfortunately, and, you know, with a lot of that, you know, what we know, what you would have seen as a police officer, what I've seen as a psychotherapist in my li lifetime is that not everybody had perfect upbringing. So I would always like to say, you know, I don't know about you guys, but most of us, most people yep. out there and okay, so now what? But when you see the atrocities, unfortunately, that a lot of people go through, you see, I'm sure you see yeah. it here in North America, in Australia, unfortunately, and you know, if kids are exposed to things quite young, we know what we know is that the the neurons in their brains get rewired, and you know, they're not they're not easier to calm because those neural pathways haven't developed the same. I say somebody that kind of had the yes. same a firm home and unfortunately those are the kids that are more than likely to go on and develop kind of mental health concerns and sometimes mm -hmm. in systems like schools they're not teachers are not equipped would you agree with that no. let's talk a little totally bit agree with some of those programs that you've developed for schools because i'm curious to kind of you know how you how you kind of went about doing it and how it's been received um there yeah. in australia look um like i said a bulk of my my work has been done with adults and so when i'm i'm getting to people when i run my sessions the first one is just information and and, and getting them to think about how their brains work how they develop habits when i was dealing with people with ptsd so i use a lot of that stuff when i'm working with with my programs around you, you might not be in a ptsd state right now but you know if things happen this kind of some things you can do for yourself, some things you can develop yourself, asking yourself some questions and that kind of stuff. But when I run sessions for, for these adults at the school level, at work level, you know, we're talking about um, stigma of mental health, you know, people feeling uncomfortable telling their boss, telling their peers, all this kind of stuff. And the reason for that is that, you know, I talked about the dialogue model. The reason for that is if, if someone has any safety issue about bringing anything up, the conversation won't happen because they'll go to silence or they get angry, silence or violence. So again, um, you know, fight or flight kicks in. And, and, and there's, there's a common theme through all this. When I'm running leadership stuff, I use certain tools that clearly show that people that are stuck in 
fear or anger um, tend to be worse managers, tend to have more health issues, all this kind of stuff. So what, what we're trying to do is, is kind of get them to be okay and understand that, yes, they have fear and anger issues, so to speak, but at the same time, what can we do to develop those? How do we, you know, those kinds of things. So, so when I'm focusing on that with adults, I kind of rewind all the way back and go, well, how do we change some of those things? We can't stop trauma. The thing about um, trauma is, you know, we talk about the ones that are struggling. There's a lot of people, as you said, who've had trauma and they come out the other side and they've grown from it and they've developed. So we want to go, well, how, how did they do it? Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I talk to um, to people that, that have struggled and, and then they've come out of it, there's always the same thing. And the, the point is that they go, look, I was focusing on whatever the issue is or, you know, and it drags me down and I think about it again and then it dragged me down. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel whatever I feel. Again, it's amygdala-driven emotions because that's where our emotional centre is, right? But the thing that they all say is there's a point where they've changed. Something just, whatever it is, gets them to a point where they go, I've switched. And I said, no, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I talk to people who've had domestic violence in their lives and there's a point where, you know, they can't leave the person, they can't leave the person, but then something happens where they just go, you know what, I've got to do something. And then they change. And then funny enough, when they change that focus on where they want to get to, what they want to do, things work for them and and, and they can make those changes. And then, you know, one little step at a time, they kind of start pushing away. And and instead of, so it's the interruption. So part of when I'm doing true counselling stuff is about telling people, look, if you've got a habit of thinking a certain way, and PTSD is a good example because you've got people who've maybe had a great childhood and they have one really bad experience, like a police officer had a gun pointed at him and he really struggled with that. And he, he not only struggled with what could have happened, but he then struggled with, how he was being perceived or how he thought people were perceiving him because he's this mm. macho cop, you know, always been the the rock and all this stuff, and now he's crying in a blubbering mess. So, you know, the embarrassment and the shame that comes with that also became a problem for him. So for me, it was about getting him to change where he's, his focus is on here. It's taking me down. I feel bad. I feel sad. And so, you know, he's constantly thinking it up. And, and as you know, those neurons and are wiring and firing together, creating a habit for him. So what I want to do is go, hang on, we're going to interrupt that. And this is where the same principle comes in around the mental health about talking to people, saying, okay, when that happens, all I want you to do is, is, is just do a thoughts diary. You're doing analysis work now. So analysis work uses that part of the brain, the bigger part again. So it interrupts what was normally happening. So anything that interrupts and changes your focus even a little bit is going to slowly loosen that kind of neurons wiring and firing. So, you know, when they understand those principles, I'm saying, hey, there's many ways to the top of this mountain. You can kind of find different ways to do that interruption. I even use stupid examples like, you know, when you when that thought pops in your head, just wiggle your toes. And then, you know, it's kind of a stupid thing to do, but it interrupts it. It creates yeah. a funny aspect to it. Right. Just, and you're changing yeah. those things. Exactly. And then, like I said, many things can do that. You know, some people doodle and draw things. Um, and all I'm trying to do is get them to understand when you change that wiring and firing a little bit and then again over time more and more and more eventually it won't be that habit you don't automatically go to that bad place you can actually go to a different place even a slightly different place to start with then a slightly better place after that and you're starting to create some some really good um ways of breaking that pattern for yourself and so same with you know people and the great thing is you the best time to get to people is when they aren't really struggling you know what I mean so for me you know a big part of of what I do with the school program is about saying not all these kids are struggling we want to create things that enhance like, like we do with physical health right we know about cardio we know about um weight training we know about 
nutrition, we know there's gyms, there's personal trainers. But when you talk about mental health, the answer is, oh, if you're struggling, go and see a counsellor. Where's all the pre-proactive work that we're doing at a school level? Where's us developing programs to say, hey, do you know how your brains work? Do you know that if you, you know, what are all these things that we could be doing to enhance our, our overall health, not just physical or mental it's 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 intertwined as you know you know if you go for a run your brain feels better about things and your mental health's good and you're a better space or whatever those things are or you know you go for a swim or you're looking at something pretty all these things enhance the whole human experience so for me it's about really working on what's practical what helps people do they understand more about it what other things can lift your oxytocin if you're not a dog lover well then it's maybe a cat or you like going and working with you know, goats or something silly. But, you know, um, again, there's lots of things we can do and people don't know enough about how their body and brains work to actually go and find those things. Yeah, and and also, um, you know, I think if anything in this time in 2020 has forced people to slow, which has not, which either escalated (laughs) issues or it's forced people to really come, you know, have, you know, come to that moment to say, wow, I I don't know what to do with myself. Like, okay, I can't see my friends. I can't go shopping. I can't go to dinner. I can't do all, you can't go on vacation, dreaming on getting, you know, seeing a beach again, you know, lucky for where you are. Uh, If I showed you outside, it's very white right now. You know, I'm very jealous of all that stuff. So I think, you know, what has happened is, you know, I think it's people are either taking the time to recognize how externally motivated they are right? It's forcing mm-hmm. them um, to get more internal, which has been disturbing for a lot more people in that mm-hmm. escalations around mental health is <laughs> or things like that. Or it really has forced people to recognize, whoa, there's a need for me to enhance this muscle because mm-hmm. I thought I was good with this. But in fact, I realized when I slow, I don't like this, yeah. you know, so you get, yeah. I don't know, we've seen a lot, a lot the mental health concerns have obviously escalated because of a lot disconnection and and stuff like that and how much that we're actually realizing that we we don't invest in the internal world that we have we because we're so externally driven and i'm sure you're probably mm-hmm. in australia as we are here as well oh absolutely and, and this is also like what we t- i was talking to a guy yesterday about um materialistic things and we were saying you know and again you use the brain of why you know, people want to go buy more stuff or want to wear the right labels or, you know, it's it's not all an act, but it's it's all about wanting to feel accepted by a group. If, if you're, you know, thinking, oh, I'm the poor person, I can't afford whatever brand it is, Gucci or, or whatever, and, and other people are wearing that, you don't, you don't feel that they don't feel part of it. And, they, and the, the, the fear of that rejection is such a key piece. And, you know, that's why people buy more and they think it's going to help them, but uh, you know the the way the brain works is the anticipation of getting something cool is actually better than the actually getting it. So now they get it, they've anticipated it's awesome, then they get it and it's not satisfying because it really it's just a mm. thing, right? Whereas if you think about relationships and and the connections that you have, it, it keeps giving. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just your time, other than you know enhancing those things and and interacting with people and learning from people. And I think when people actually, to your point go inside they go wow I can't go buy anything now and no one's going to see me walking around with this new clothes on so I don't get that big buzz that I normally get out of it so yeah diff- different um reward systems I guess is, is probably w- where we're sitting and, and yeah you're right I think um you know as we kind of think about that 
and then enhance how do i enhance that muscle how do i or how do i also suppress the the, the amygdala because we, we want that to go down and we want the other stuff to go up so understanding some of those things and then going okay now here's a, a pathway or, or here's some things i can think about doing or or and and for me it's about creating an inquisitiveness for for people to go out and find out so when i'm running these sessions i, I you know people come to me afterwards and go i don't know anything about that about my brain and how i think and so it's about you know creating a bit of a buzz around go and find out i, I wrote an article not long ago called it the unconsciously incompetent parent and so you know, it's not about saying we're totally unconscious, but a lot of them are around mental health and how they enhance that. So they're unconsciously incompetent. And then when I run the session, I'm trying to make them consciously incompetent. So they go, whoa, I'd like to be better for my kids or my grandkids. I need to go find out more about this. I need to read stuff. I mean, the way I wrote my book too, I've got a whole heap of QR codes for a book. I'm not the expert on everything in this. This is me using, you know, the, some of the greats that have written great books around, you know, Joe Dispenza's stuff and, and that kind of thing is about, I just give them bits of information and make it practical. If you want to know more, go and read that book and find out more. And, you know, that's kind of what, what I'm um, really not pushing, but that, that's where I'm heading to, getting people at least inquisitive and going, oh, wow, okay, I didn't know much about mindfulness or, or why do those things work or, you know, what part of the brain's being activated when I'm doing this and why do dogs have such a good effect on people and why does helping other people have such a great effect, volunteering and doing things. And, you know, you, I was reading your bio and, you know, you've done a lot of this stuff, volunteering and all these things over the years. And, you know, I'm sure when you come out the other end like you have, you, you, you know there's a richer tapestry of you don't feel empty when you've done those kinds of things and, and understanding some of those things is so important for people and it's about um, bringing it to them and, and letting them understand it. You don't want to have to go through COVID to go, oh, wow, I don't really like being isolated. You know, we, we, we kind of sometimes we don't want to experience some of those things. We'd rather read about it and try and make sure that we, if it does happen to us, we're, we're equipped, we can do other things, we can connect with, to people in other ways. And, 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 you know, having this technology at least helps with some of those because we were a bit the same in lockdown, not as bad as, as other countries, but we were in lockdown here for a month or so and we weren't able to see my son for 11 months. He's only an hour and a bit flight away. So we caught up with him before Christmas, so that was great. But, again, you know, you kind of make do with what you've got but also try to, you know, generate that little bit of enthusiasm and, and connecting with people and and I, you know a lot of people did that so I'm sure Zoom's been high up in their shares. Yes hence why it's always it's it's always trouble to get on so this is all really great information I know you and I live in this world we understand it but there's a lot of people that would listen to this podcast or and they'd say you know I you know there's a lot of people struggling Clint to put it frankly so if, if you're if you yes. have someone listening to this podcast today and they're saying, you know what, you know, buddy, you don't get what how hard it is, right? Like, what kind of simple guidance would you give them just to get them started if if they're kind of in that cycle? What what could they do? Look, whenever I've worked with anybody that's gone and sought counselling, um, you know, they're actually there knowing that they have a problem. And and I guess part of of what I would say to somebody that doesn't go out and find someone but if then if you know you're struggling the important thing is to ask some questions of yourself to go well am I happy with this most people will say no I'm not happy feeling this way and I don't want to feel this way so so acknowledging some of that gets you at least doing some analytical work again I'm using the analytical part of the brain to say what how am I feeling about life like you said people have got time on their hands right now people can actually sit and go inside and some people probably 
gain a lot out of doing this. But for me, it's about doing some true self-analysis work around where you're at now, where you'd like to be. When you're focusing on a future state, you're actually using, again, the blue brain and you're focusing on that future state and you're focusing on solutions. There's many ways to the top of the mountain, as I said, right? Like, you know, there's different, I'm not aligned to any particular type of psychology theorist because they all can work to a degree. It's about what allows you to shift from that red to the blue. So some people find religion, some people find fitness. Anything that changes that focus will work for you, but you've got to understand or you've got to at least get to a point where you acknowledge that I do want to change where I'm at. If I just stay here and I focus on what I don't have, I'll keep getting that. Let's focus on what you want, not what you don't have or, you know, the lack part. You're focusing on a future state, using a different part of the brain to come up with solutions. What can I do differently? If I don't, if I'm not happy here, where do I want to be? And, and what can I do to at least start? That first step becomes that switch to sick of this, want to get there. And so part of that would be the first thing I would do. It's not about, you know, Clint coming to preach to you that you need to change anything. But if you right. want to change something, you've got to make some, like, you know what it's like with counselling, right? If, if you're dealing with a client who, doesn't acknowledge it and doesn't they're there because the parents have brought him there for something like that you know he's an intervention Clint needs go and help him so he doesn't want to be there he or she um and you know it's a it's a much harder task because a they're not acknowledging they've got a problem they don't feel great but they don't acknowledge they've got a problem you know and so it's it's not going to have an effect until that person makes a decision no matter what a counselor does no matter who's helping someone if they don't want to shift that focus getting nowhere and so part of what you just asked there is about getting them to at least think about where they're at think about what they'd like to have and then things can start to happen for them because they need to change that focus they use a different part of the brain if they keep using the amygdala brain takes them back to where they are they think about all the stuff that happened to them life's not fair you know things happen to my ancestors people focus on that i'm not saying it's a bad thing that people aren't treated that way but if you've got that mindset and nothing changes nothing will change for you. When Nelson Mandela came out of prison many, many years ago now, um, you know, he'd been in there for 27 years and his big comment when he came out was he had to check his hatred at the door because he said he, he was angry, he hated what had happened to him, you know, he was obviously treated badly, 27 years in prison for something pretty the way it was. Anyway, he said if he had come out that same person in prison, he wouldn't have had the effect he had as a leader because he, he wouldn't have been able to forgive. He wouldn't have been able to move on. And, and, and he clearly did move on, changed a lot of things for South Africa. Unfortunately, it's gone backwards since he's passed. But, you know, um, you know, they're, they're just the type of things. And, and the more you read about people that have been able to change things, even though things have happened to them and they hate people or, so, sorry, people have done nasty things to them or their families or taken people away from them, they have to kind of be okay with themselves first. If they hold on to the hatred, they actually hurt themselves. And so same kind of principles around understanding what you want to change, how you want to change it. And there's many ways to change it because there's so many good books out there. I don't think enough people yes. access them. And that's the problem. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, you're like me, you probably read a lot. You're on your second book already. So um, yourself, and it's about just getting people 
asking questions, going out and listening to stuff. There's great podcasts. I'm listening to a heap more stuff now, even in podcasts like like this one, where I'm listening to what other people have coming up. Oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's no true expert that knows everything. We all know a little bit about stuff and our experience helps us with certain things. But then I'll pick up things and go, wow, okay. And now I can see the practicalities of using that. And and you're just enhancing your own education, I guess, and, and, and trying to, like, the work you do is pretty similar to me. We're trying to help people. But how do we do that? And there's many ways to do that. And whatever connects with them, the more they listen to these kinds of things and talk to someone else, they go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let's go have a look. You know, to me, inquisitiveness, getting consciously incompetent is a good thing. You need to know that you know no stuff. So let's go find out. Let's and you, go can't go back, you can't go back once you've kind of learned it and then you think, well, where Yeah, you can't unlearn it. No, yeah, exactly. You can't unlearn. So if people are wanting to connect with you, if they want to get a copy of the book or um, those types of things, where where can they get a hold of you? So that's the book called Lighting the Blue Flame. Um, It is out on on most kind of platforms, Amazon and all the rest. It is with a British um, publisher, so it is a little bit of time to get a physical copy. Obviously, Kindle on Amazon, you can get a lot quicker and that kind of stuff. Um, I also I just started a new website, which I'm in the process of finishing. So that'll that'll be www.blueflameprojects.com.au. Um, it is out there, but I've still got to do some things to secure it and all that kind of stuff. I'm not selling anything on there anyway, so people can still look at it if they can find it. But um, yeah, so that's probably the, the easiest way to connect with me. Okay, well, thanks so much for your time. So what am I taking Thank away? You. Uh, you know, I think the basic things is like um, we all, I think, and you know, we're here to learn, right? And to have lived a life where you've been through nothing. I don't know that I know anybody. And I often joke around that if anybody's met anybody that's been not been through anything, I need to meet those those people because we all <laughs> go through things. And that's where our life lessons comes from. And we have a brain and a body. Get educated about it. Um, and like Clint talked about, when I talk to my little ones, you know, um, I talk a little bit about, you know, I call the prefrontal cortex the boss. And the, if, if the boss is away from work too long and there's a there's crises, which is in the middle, I call it the Christmas tree. But the Christmas tree gets set <laughs> up and then, you know, the surge goes through your body. At some point, you have to say to the boss, come back to work. And that's how I break it down um, when I, I deal with little ones. So you got to think about it. We all are. We all get into those states. We all get run down, we all get depleted, and we all have things going on. So to recognize that any little step that you take uh, routinely, after a while, what happens is you build that internal emotional muscle to Clint's point, and then your body says, oh, I can go for a walk. Oh, I can read a book, or I can talk to a friend instead of thinking that I'm just gonna stay in bed today and maybe I'm not gonna get out again yet again. Because once you create different buckets, then the body expects you to to go in and maybe try a different bucket. If there's one bucket, the body and the brain is gonna go back to that one bucket over and over again. So challenge yourself, try something small, and it doesn't have to be something huge. So again, thanks so much, Clint, uh, for anyone. um, Thank you. You're welcome. For anyone needing um, information, I've just started a uh, four-week live uh, relationship coaching program on my book. You can go to roxanderhodge.com forward slash course and just sign up. So thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhage.com slash blueprint.
We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.